All right, uh, good morning once again. Welcome to our sixth Lay Theology Conference. Uh, we've been doing this now since I think 2017. We took a, a year or so off there during the COVID lockdowns and all that, but uh, it's good that we, every year we try to bring in uh, some kind of a, a professional in a given field to speak to a topic relevant to the people in our church and relevant to our day. And so this year, obviously, with a very re relevant topic of, of screens and, and uh, helping navigate the issues brought to us by screens to our, us and to our children uh, will be the topic of today. Uh, we are recording this on our, on our fancy live stream stuff, uh, thanks to James Blazius back there. The, the recordings of this will all be available on the church's website uh, immediately following this. Uh, so if you have to step out or you're going to miss some of it or if you want to go back and listen to more, it'll all be accessible through the church's website. Uh, a couple of housekeeping things. Where, so you, the schedule, when you walked in, you should have received a small, like, folded piece of paper. It's got the schedule of the day. Uh, very, very basic format there, outline of the three main sessions and the, and the uh, brief breaks. Also, um, the full PowerPoint presentation is, is, uh, is available on the table when you first came in. So if you didn't grab one of those, be sure to, in case uh, you want to make notes uh, on that. Now, if you, need to get, if you need to be on Wi-Fi, then you should pay uh, closer attention to the presentation about getting on, online in church. But if you do need to get online, uh, the, the password is Martin Luther, capital M, capital L, with no space. Uh, today's conference is completely free. Uh, child care is free. The lunch is free. Everything is uh, free. Uh, but if you'd like to help us uh, cover some of our costs, there are uh, free will offering plates available pretty much everywhere you go. We're, we're willing to take your money at every turn of the way. So if you'd like to contribute, we'd be uh, very grateful. I want to say thank you right now to Stephanie Ryan. Stephanie is in here somewhere. She's probably juggling kids somewhere. Uh, Stephanie's been very helpful in putting all this together. To Bethany uh, Schools, PTL, all the, the parents uh, helping uh, organize all this. To Beth Hahn, James Blazius, Linda Fox, and all the staff and volunteers of the school. So let's give all, uh, all of them a round of applause. So uh, our speaker today, Pastor Jonathan Connor, graduated from Concordia Seminary in St. Louis in 2004. After spending six years in Northwest Iowa, he was called to Zion Lutheran in Manning, Iowa in 2010. He and his wife, Rebecca, have six children. Along with the vocations of husband, father, and pastor, Pastor Connor is a contributor and speaker for Lutheran Family Service in the areas of mental health, godly living, and parenting. He is a regular guest on the podcast, Issues, Etc., currently in the multi-part series, Kids Have Questions. So please welcome with me, uh, Pastor Connor. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Yes, happy to be here. Thank you for having me here today. It is a joy to be with you. It's a beautiful facility. Uh, thank you for reserving delightful weather to travel that made it easier to get here from Western Iowa. I want to start by introducing myself, kind of get uh, um, a game plan for where we're going to be going. Uh, and I'm going to also need, maybe I'll assign uh, Nathaniel, my son, this job. You need to be my timekeeper. There's no clock anywhere, which is bad news for you. Uh, but uh, give me a, a heads up after, after about 40 minutes, so I know I need to start working up toward uh, question time. Okay, now what's up on the screen here is our title, Becoming Screen Wise. That's important. I use the word uh, wise in the biblical sense of wisdom trying to bring the biblical wisdom to bear on this question of screens. Uh, if you're like me, you may feel like you've, uh, uh, you're 
you're behind on this already because uh, the rate at which the, these things move, the technology moves, is way faster than any of us, even the young ones here, way faster than we can keep up. And you may feel a little bit flat-footed on how do I approach this. I'm hoping to bring some wisdom, biblical wisdom, to bear on how do we approach this question. Let me also introduce myself just very briefly. He mentioned we have six kids. This is where I'm pastor at Zion Lutheran Church in Manning. Uh, this is my family here. Uh, no, the mountains are not in Manning, Iowa. That was in the Tetons uh, this last summer. Uh, so we have six kids. Uh, five of them are boys, and that means everything we own is broken. And so if you ever raise boys, you can appreciate that. Uh, I mentioned my son, Nathaniel. He's with me. He's our third uh, child. He's 15, traveling with me today. We're happy to have him along. Uh, our oldest, we go from 19, and he's a sophomore at uh, Concordia, Wisconsin. And then 17, a junior in high school, 15, sophomore in high school. My daughter is the only daughter. She's 13. She's an eighth grader. Then I go down to 11, and he's a fifth grader. Then I go down to seven, and he's a second grader. I think I got them all the right ages and the right grades, which is not always easy to do. So uh, it's a joy to be with you. Uh, and this, this question of screens is very relevant to me, both as a father, as a pastor, as a community member. And I've had conversations when I really started getting this question. I was interviewed, I wasn't interviewed, but I was having conversations with uh, the teachers in my town, with the doctor in my town, with the uh, um, AEA, sort of, a, a, you know, those involved in the school system in counseling and equipping teachers and, and students. Uh, I talked to the uh, law enforcement. I, I talked to uh, people in all different professional fields. And I would ask them, so when you're trying to, to figure out not the cause, but one common denominator that you may see uh, at the root of some of the things you identify as the problems in our communities, what would be one thing that you might identify as a concern? And every single one of them said screens. It was the first thing out of their mouth. So I thought, oh, well, this maybe is something we need to be talking about. If every single professional I'm talking to, unprompted, is telling me we have a problem with screens, what do we do? So um, you're going to hear me use this phrase a lot, the unpixelated three-dimensional life. The unpixelated three-dimensional life. Now, I want to say up front that my goal in this presentation is not to give a negative presentation in the sense that, like, uh, all screens are bad. It's just bad, 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 bad. You need to throw them away. No, obviously not. I'm using a screen to present this. I navigated myself to your church with a screen, right? I communicated with your church professionals through a screen. So it would be quite hypocritical for me to say, uh, get rid of all screens. But if you've been paying attention to the news, uh, above the fold, front page, Wall Street Journal, this was from Thursday of this week, blood on your hands, CEO hit over harm to our kids online. If you've been paying attention, to the newspapers or the news. I've got a pile of Wall Street journals, uh, all different headlines of, of concern, okay? So to say that there isn't a concern would also be naive. So I'm not trying to give a negative presentation, this is bad, 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 but I do want to get your attention, all right? I I'm going to actually, okay, I'm telling you up front, I'm going to try to get you to change. Oh, I didn't come here for that, right? I'm going to try to get you to change for your children, for your church, and for your community. 
This is our focus, the unpixelated three-dimensional life. This is what we're driving after, all right? And here's my simple point. And if you have um, your little, uh, 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 hopefully your slides print out, this is a good time to take notes, all right? And, and let me also give one other thing, then I'll tell you my simple point. Here's what I'm gonna drive after at, the, at the each session. My goal is to end each session with what I call, what's your one thing? I will let you ask questions, but I'm more interested in what's your one takeaway from each session. We do this in my congregation, the back bottom of all of our bulletins that says, what's your one thing? And there are three lines that are blank. And what I expect them to do is to write in at least one thing from the morning service that they will take home and talk about. At least, they can do more, but at least one. And everybody can do one. Even the single mother with six kids in the pew. And my, my wife basically functions like a, a single mother because I'm up front. So even she could take home one thing, one line from a hymn, one line from the sermon, one something, one thing. And you're going to take it home and you're going to talk about it. Okay? We'll talk more about that later, but at the end of each session, not everybody will get to share, we won't have time. But I'm going to say, what's your one thing? Now, if you have a question, ask a question. That's okay, my one thing is a question. Perfect, ask it. But, so as you're going along, maybe you want to write down, I know my one thing, just in case I get a chance to share my one thing, all right? So, simple point though, you were made for more than pixels. You were made for more than pixels, okay? The two-dimensional, pixelated life is an inherently disembodied life. It disembodies human interaction, and this will never satisfy us as humans. Because as far as I can tell, you exist in three dimensions. Okay? You cannot expect good, I mean like true, edifying, nourishing good, to come when you are living out of line with reality. So I like to say if Jesus were, Jesus were to modernize his parable about building our house on the sand, he would, he would um, use a parable about building your house on pixels, okay? So I'm going to suggest that the unpixelated, three-dimensional life is centered in the worship life of the church. The three-dimensional gathering, okay? Hearing the word, receiving the sacrament, being in front of the pulpit, the font, and the altar. This is an embodied experience. This is a three-dimensional get. This is what I started to kind of refer to the church as. The gathering of the gathered. The gathering of the gathered. Now, that will flow out into our family life and into our community life, into our embodied life, but it's going to be centered here in the church. Now, if you can see the picture, uh, this is the church. You are the little slider there on the wheel. Maybe some of you when you were a kid had these on your bicycle wheel. I'm going to encourage you to make the church the hub of your life. The hub, okay? The hub of your unpixelated three-dimensional life. This embodied experience is so important to living well in the three-dimensional world. So again, the hub idea here is this. Uh, you come into the church, whether that's on Sunday or during the week, and, and you come in, and then you go out into your vocation. And you come in, and you go out. So that slider idea is you come in, and you go out. But the, the hub is the church. You are that slider. So I'm also going to suggest to you that there is nothing virtual 
about Christ's forgiveness and grace. It is real. It's tangible. You can feel the water. And if I'm not careful, I will feel the water. I need to make sure I don't veer too far, uh, to the left or to the right. (laughs) So uh, you hear the word. You taste the grace. And I'm going to encourage you to invest in worship for lots of reasons, but worship shapes you, right? Worship orders your desires. It directs your loves. It, what I like to call it, magnetizes you toward your true north. This is important to understand. You are more than a thinking creature. You are a desiring creature. You will pursue what you love, what you desire. We all know that donuts are not good for us, even if they're the best donuts in Naperville, right? You know that. I know that. But we still will eat them, right? We We will still go after the junk food, which we know is not good for us. So it's not just the thinking. It's the desiring we're aiming after here, okay? Because you eat them because you love them, because you desire them. As a fallen creature, your desires, my desires, are out of line with what God has called good. Now we use that phrase a lot, a lot, what God has called good, okay? Your desires need to be aligned, and this is what worship does. It's not about what you're doing, it's about what what God is doing through his word, through his sacraments, through the church's liturgy. Uh, James Smith writes the book, You Are What You Love, and I'll make reference to that later, highly recommend the book. He talks about worship as restoring us and re-narrating us. Now, I'm going to share with you. Okay, most of you don't know this young man. He was my partner, pastor. We are in, we're in partnership with the church about 10 miles west of us. Uh, wonderful man of God. Uh, he battled cancer and died last April at age 32. Very hard thing. Great friend of mine, my partner, in ministry, uh, and uh, he, when he knew that the treatments were no longer being effective, we sat down and had a long conversation. I said, you know, Pastor Johnson, I think it's time for you to really focus your ministry on writing, because getting out and being among people was now difficult. And so he did, and uh, he wrote a lot, and I'm just going to share one of his quotes. And young people who are here, and people who have young people, or people who know young people, I want you to pay attention to what he says. He says, the greatest gift, the greatest gift my parents gave to me was getting my lazy rear, my lazy rear end out of bed in order to attend Sunday school and worship. Every week we went. In order to, and every week we went, and every week, whether I knew it or not, the hymns, the liturgies, the creeds, and Bible stories etched themselves into my soul. Now you're going to get a flavor for his, his sort of wittiness. And he was, a, he was a character. He says, it was as if I'd been bitten by a radioactive spider and my superpowers were to receive and comprehend God's truth. Kind of a neat way to think about it, isn't it? All right, he said, I thought this was about screens. Yes, it is. But I want to establish where we start. All right, so let's talk about screens. All right, first, your brains. 
You probably know this, but your brain is equipped with this outstanding neurotransmitter, this pleasure-seeking chemical called dopamine. You've all heard of dopamine before, right? Some have called it the more chemical, uh, but it's really more about anticipation, all right? It's not the chemical that really lets us enjoy something so much as it's the one that drives us to want more. I mean, the next thing, the next level, the next relationship, the next advancement, the next show, whatever it is, okay? It's the more drug. That's the anticipation chemical. And it moves us into the future with anticipation, all right? This is, this is the, the one that makes that, that thought of opening that birthday gift that's wrapped. It makes it exciting because you want to know what's in it. It's not the thing that will make you enjoy what's in the gift. It's the thing that makes you want to open it, to anticipate it, all right? It's the one that makes you want to watch that new movie that just came out. Or it's the one that makes you want to watch the NFL playoffs. Or um, this, this is how um, you know, video makers will get you to watch the whole video because they know that most people will swipe to the next one within the first two or three seconds. So what do they say? Stick around to the end because there's a surprise coming. And what are you more likely to do then? Stick around to the end because why? Because you want to know. Because that dopamine's like, ooh, if I wait, there's going to be a reward. That's why they're doing that, okay? Because they know you will crave that. And if I, if I, and I, and if I was uh, more prepared, I would have wrapped a present and stuck it right here and just said nothing about it. And what would all of you be thinking the entire time? What's in it? What's in it, right? And you'd want to know what was in it. And you'd be very unsatisfied if I didn't open it by the end, right? Okay, so that, that's what dopamine is. It's that, that more desiring more chemical. Now, I want to tell you this. This can be manipulated. Uh, Seth Godin, he's an author and former dot-com business executive. He's called smartphones the Pavlovian boxes. Because you remember 1890s Russian researcher even Ivan uh, Pavlov? Uh, Golden writes, the smartphone is an optimized, tested, and polished call and response machine. So far, Apple's made a trillion dollars by ringing our bell. And he's right. You, do, you probably know this to a certain level, but companies have invested just massive resources in tracking every move you make online because they want to deepen their understanding of how to ring your bell and to manipulate your desires. They're after your desires. Does that sound familiar? The church is after your desires too. Just be very honest. We are. We're trying to shape your desires. But you have to understand the world is too. All right? So every swipe, every click, but every video you watch and how far you watch it, every time you linger over an animated GIF or to swipe by it, Okay? Certainly everything you ever post or upload or you share, it's cataloged and it's linked to this vast amount of data that's held about you. And over time, this, 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 uh, this digital um, uh, biography starts to uh, be assembled. It's literally the instruction book that anyone or anything can read to learn what works on you and what doesn't. Developers go so far as to pay attention to which background colors, which fonts, which audio tones maximize and retain your attention, which ones don't. Think about all the dings and the little bells and things like, ooh, you got mail, or ooh, you got a text, right? All these little pleasant sounds that, that, that they put on these things because it's like, ring the bell, and you're going to start drooling. 
you're being conditioned. And they've actually got this down to a science. It's actually called the desire engine. Here's how this works. Basically four stages, right? So this trigger is something that invites you to take a certain action, to click on a photo, tap on a video, okay? You can think of it as bait. So notice it's called clickbait, right? So you're being baited. And then the thing that, then you're going to click on it. That's the action. You're going to open the site or whatever, open the video. But the thing that's going to get you hooked is what's called a variable reward. And the important thing is not the same every time. So let me give you an example. Uh, if you have a, an ice dispenser on your refrigerator, right? My guess is probably nobody in here, at least if you're not like three or four years old, you're not addicted to that thing, right? If you have a three or four year old, okay, they may get addicted to it. But most of us are not addicted to the ice dispenser because it's the same output every time. It's either gonna be, you know, three different options, water, cubed ice, crushed ice, push the button, same thing every time. You don't stand there all day like, ooh, will there be ice system? No, you don't. But if every once in a while it would spit out a root beer float, or a strawberry daiquiri, or what you fill in the blank, if every once in a while it would spit one of those out, and every time you pushed it, you had the belief that I'm getting closer to the root beer float, how many of you might find yourself pushing that button more often? Right? It's the variable reward that's going to get you hooked. Right? App, developer, app developers will exploit this. Okay? They build variable rewards to hook us. Because even the possibility of a reward is enough. <laughs> so if they can get us to think about the possible reward, then here's what they're trying to do. They can trigger that dopamine response and they can build desire. And then they want to move it internal, right? So that now even the thought of your favorite app or your favorite game or your favorite whatever, it's like, oh, I need to just check it quick, all right? Game developers also exploit this. Streak rewards, right? Don't want to break your streak. Bonuses that are hidden throughout the game. They're often weighted toward the early stages and then become less frequent as the game progresses. Again, the goal is to move that trigger internal, to get us to trigger ourselves, to get us to desire their app or their game or, or whatever. All right, another tool they use. Uh, we would do this via time and have someone pull out your phone and uh, pull up Facebook and have you scroll to the bottom. You're shaking your heads at me. Why, what, what is there? There's no bottom, yes. I'm not advising you to try this because you would be there for the rest of the day. But there is no bottom. Do you think that's on purpose or an accident? It's exactly on purpose, right? Because what they're doing is they're eliminating the stopping cues, all right? You, you're eliminating those. Let me give you an example. Um, if you read a book, what are the stopping cues in a book? Chapter would be a stopping cue. Even a page turn, like for me, if I'm reading the book, I, sometimes chapters are too long, I don't get to the end. I always stop at the first little paragraph on the top, on the left page. So I know when I pull my book back up, that's where I'm always gonna start. It's, that's my stopping cue. Or if you watch a traditional television program, what happens at the end? You would get the credits, what come up. That's a stopping cue, it means you can stop here or you can watch the next one, right? Stopping cue. All right, so, um, or uh, your body actually has stopping cues if you listen to it. If you're eating, 
and you're starting to get full, the body is saying, hey, stop being cute. Time to stop eating, all right? But when you remove the stopping cues, it really messes with our brains. Okay, this is actually greatly distressing to the human brain because we have this innate desire to reach the end, to discover the bottom, to find a good stopping point. You have that desire. Everybody does. And social media never offers that point, ever, 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 okay? Uh, this is why one of the reasons, and many reasons, that social media will always leave you unfulfilled. There's no closure, all right? You never have the feeling of completion. Let me give you an example. If, you're, if you mow your own lawn, when you finish, what do you do before you put the lawnmower away? You finish mowing the lawn. How many of you just keep on walking and never turn around? When you finish, what do you want to do? Turn around and take one look and say, it looks good. It's done, right? Because you have a desire to reach completion. I think it's a very godly desire. But when you take that away and you are never allowed to finish, that's a very unsettling feeling to the human brain. Digital games actually function very similarly because you never actually win the game, ever. And you advance levels, you improve your status, you accrue more points, but you're never actually done, okay? And guess what, that's by design because it keeps us engaged and it maximizes profit at the expense of, and this is key, of minimizing our relationships with the real people who are around us. Parents, there are parents here parents you know who feel like they have lost their children in this two-dimensional world of the screen at the expense of the three-dimensional world of the family. And I think for some of us, this is not an amusing thing. It's a very distressing thing. Um, I mentioned this a minute ago. In the background of the picture, are pictures, pictures of children, parents who lost their children, sometimes literally to suicide because of what happened in their exposure and screens. That's the extreme, obviously, but for these parents who attended these hearings, it's not a hypothetical thing. They did lose their children in the screen. So it, again, screens aren't evil, but they're also not neutral. They are not neutral. It's not just what you do with them. Every technology changes you every technology. We'll talk more about that a little later. The main thing with social media and uh, gaming is engagement. That's the ticket, it's engagement. That's code for clicks, shares, and retweets, or reposts, or whatever. That means eyeballs, and here's the thing, eyeballs can be monetized. So this goes for all the talking heads you see on TV, this goes for the algorithms that drive what you see on social media, and it is all driven. You think you're free. You're not. It's being chosen for you. Okay, I mentioned the algorithms. This is about maximizing engagement. More eyes watching for more time. These eyes can be sold to advertisers. We guarantee you this many eyes will see your ad. And what do you know about eyeballs? They are driven to extreme content, right? They are. Nuanced, careful, thoughtful writing and reporting doesn't get the eyeballs. We as a culture aren't very good at thinking in nuance. We're not. We think in extremes. 
We've been trained to do that through our screens, okay? Because it's the extreme, simplistic, non-thoughtful, divisive content that does attract our eyeballs. Content that's uh, extreme will escalate blood pressure, and that'll drive this feeling of urgency, right? I mean, how many times have you heard this phrase, an existential threat? You've heard that so many times, right? Why are they using those words? To get you engaged, right? So that it will attract advertisers, that will bring money, and money brings power. And I want you to know this, you are not viewed as a person. You are viewed as a user. That's the word, isn't it? Users. And see, the thing that drug dealers know about users is the more addictive their drug, the more promising their drug, the more powerful the addiction, and the easier it is to manipulate people. People like you. People like your children. Samuel James writes in Digital Liturgies, and I'll make reference to this book later too. He says, the social internet is designed for one purpose, to keep us scrolling, to keep us posting, keep us hooked. Negative emotions, feelings of anger, frustration, or disagreement are to social media, scrolling, what coal is to a steam locomotive. All right? All right. Gaming. I don't know if you can see the signs from where you are, read it or not, but your paper ought to have them. First one on the left. You talking to me with the headphones on? I have a dream that one day my parents will understand that online games can't be paused. I don't quit. I restart. I like to party, and by party I mean stay inside and play video games. Just five more minutes. Ever heard that? Is it ever just five more minutes? Nope. This one is the one that probably shakes me to my core. Gamer is a noun. A person who realized that real life is too boring. Warning may yell at video games. Is this what we want? Now don't deceive yourself. Little gamers become big gamers. Do you want to fund this? Do you want to enable this? Because you might be. Now let me say a word on gaming. Now this is speaking in very generalities. Both boys and girls like gaming, both boys and girls like social media. In general, games tend to attract boys uh, a large, more larger percentage than girls, and social media, girls more than boys, in general. But I want to tell you something about why it's so appealing oftentimes to boys. Like, I want you to cue into what's going on here. What are they doing in these worlds of games? They're conquering, they're defeating, they're protecting. Yes, there's some killing oftentimes. Killing isn't always the point. Some games it's the only point, but it's not often the point. All right? Um, although I will say that there are studies that would suggest that, uh, that viewing violent activity uh, can um, move kids to imitate. There's something called mirror neurons. Okay? If I were to yawn, you would yawn. Right? Uh, they're, they're mirror neurons. Um, if I smile, you're more likely to smile. You will mirror what you see. Uh, so we need to take that very seriously. But 
What's understand, they're on this epic quest to rescue, deliver, and save, and conquer. But I also want you to recognize that there are some noble desires in there. See, ask this question, in our 3D world, away from the game, as a culture, do we tend to recognize and validate these desires in men? No. What's the label that's been stuck on masculinity lately? Toxic. Toxic, toxic masculinity. So, guess what? The 3D world will not acknowledge these desires as honorable. But the 2D world will. A, that's a strong appeal to males. All right? Because gaming presents them a world where they can control, right? One where they can demonstrate competence. One that provides them with a sense of belonging. If boy, now, if boys lived in the game, their investment may prove helpful, but they don't live in the game. They, they may want to, but the reality is there's a three-dimensional world that, that they do live in. So the invested time is actually proving extremely detrimental for life in the 3D world. They're building their life on pixels. It won't stand. So when kids or even adults go online to game, their brains, specifically the executive function part of the brain, the thing responsible for managing life in the 3D world, appointments, time management, and so forth, responsibilities, that part actually goes offline. And the dopamine reward cycle is so strong that real life seems dull and uninteresting by comparison. Because who cares about algebra or chemistry when you have Fortnite? Sorry, it'll never, algebra and chemistry is never going to compete with, with those games. Right, that center sign captures it. A gamer, a person who realized that real life is too boring. So game designers, you know this, have hired the best neuroscientists in the world to maximize screen time. They got that desire engine down. They know how to exploit that. I want you to know that research shows that a young person will spend approximately 10,000 hours today playing video games before he turns 21. Um, getting a, uh, a bachelor's degree takes about 4,800 hours. That's two bachelor's degrees. I want you to consider the opportunity cost. I want you to consider what's being left unchosen. The volunteering that could be done, the instruments that could be learned, the baking, the building, the inventing, the crafting, 10,000 hours. Things I want you to remember, little gamers will become big gamers. You will compromise over and over again. And more time gaming will lead to more immature content. And I need to be very um, careful what I say at this point, but most of you have no idea what they're seeing in these games. You do not know the content, explicit, sexual, violent content that is involved in these games. I cannot go into detail right now, but it is explicit and um, it is prevalent in many of them. And most of you have no idea. And most of you also don't know that in terms of the sex trafficking world, where most of these traffickers meet their kids is through online games. And that's where the grooming begins. Parents, don't be ignorant about this. Uh, if they have any access to the internet at all, 
these things are all real response, real possibilities. Okay, let's talk briefly about screens in schools. All right. I think this is worth rethinking, and specifically, I'm not talking about, okay, I'm differentiating between what I might call the communal screen. This would be what I call a communal screen, okay? What are we, we're all viewing it what? Together, all right? This is a communal screen. So I'm not, I'm not speaking to this one now. I'm talking about the individualized screens and what we see with those. Phones, tablets, Chromebooks, those sorts of things. Kids look at those things as entertainment devices. That's what they are. To them. You may think not, but that's what they see them as. And the data shows both upstream and the focus in class and the retention. Uh, so, later about screens in schools. Uh, and this one, if, if kids are trying to do. True multitasking. I want to literally to I'm at 40 minutes right now. Okay, so what's happening? The neural pathways responsible for real-world problem solving, the executive function, the emotional regulation are being pruned. And I like to hear it, but social media and gaming are changing young people's brains. And not really for the better. Now, several studies have shown this, okay? That kids using media for five plus hours a day, the average now is approximately nine, show significant pruning in the regions of the brain that manage impulse control. If you teach in the school, you know this. You've seen this. This is what's going on. Study last year, last January, in University of North Carolina, did a, a, they, over three years tracked the impact of high, high social media use on the brains of young teens, like 12 to 15. Normal brain function moves from the amygdala, the anxiety, aggression, fear area, to the dorsal lateral prefrontal cortex. My kids have heard about the prefrontal cortex more time than they care to hear about. It. This is the place for executive function and self-control. Now, for kids checking social media a lot, like 12 to 20 times a day, you see the opposite pattern of maturation. It doesn't happen. So the prefrontal cortex is this discernment center, the breaking center that says, yeah, I don't want to think about that. Might not be the best idea. Am I want to practice some self-control here. I want to use some restraint here. Prefrontal cortex does that. These are the brakes. What's happening is our kids have Ferrari engines and no brakes. We're breaking the brakes. And I just want to say this, keep screens away from babies. There are more and more studies that will show this. Lasting negative cognitive effects from early and prolonged screen time. And it's not just the screen, it's the changed environment. The child isn't engaging in the three-dimensional world, not interacting with parents and people. It's cutting them off from the three-dimensional environment. And Marianne Wolf writes in her book, the iPad is the new pacifier. She says, many young viewers are all too quickly, are literally and cognitively left to their own devices to be continuously entertained by a very flat thing which possesses neither the lap nor the voice of their most beloved persons reading and speaking just to them. Do not raise your kid with a screen. It will take you more work to engage with them. I have six kids. I know. 
I know. I have so much to say upon this, but I'm very close to the end here for our first session. And I'm happy to engage in conversation over lunch, and then I do want to hear you one thing in just a minute. Okay, uh, I mentioned here, during the teen years, the reward center is in overdrive. This is this, this age of uh, risk-taking and adrenaline seeking. That's because their engine is finally, like it is, it is tuned so well. That Ferrari engine is revving, ready to go. And the brakes of the prefrontal cortex, not so much. Even less so if we keep giving them things that are causing those brakes to be severed. Also, teens are very impressionable, exceedingly impressionable. Uh, if I had longer, I would go into this, but I want to put, point this out. The one thing I really want to point out is the parent-child relationship. Listen carefully. The parent-child relationship is more important than the peer-peer relationship. You may know this, but immaturity is rampant among the youth. I'm, that's tongue in my cheek, but it's kind of should be understood, right? It's not, it's, not, it's, not a, it's not a slam to kids. They just haven't grown up yet, okay? So the peer-peer relationships, they are unstable and they are uncertain. They cannot be assumed. Social media contributes to this instability. It brings like a moment-by-moment -moment update, and those are potential destabilizers because the relationship status is always in question. This is mentally exhausting for kids. It is mentally exhausting to always feel like you're, you, you are not for sure that relationship's going to be there. I like to compare it to this. They need a floridness to their life. In other words, when you got out of bed this morning, how many of you, before you put your feet down, looked to make sure the floor was still there? I bet nobody. Because you want to be able to assume that floor. What I'm saying is, peer-peer relationships don't function like that. Parent-child relationship needs to function like that. So parents, you need to be able to be taken for granted. That's not always fun as a parent, I know that. And yes, you may get walked on as a parent, but you are going to be that floor that they can assume. That they won't have to look before they put their feet down in the morning whether you're there, because they can assume that. So peer-peer relationships are important, it's just parent-child relationship are more important. I can say more about this, but I'm going to recommend one book, this one. If you will ever read a book other than the Bible, I would recommend that first. But if there's any other book, if you are a parent, and you may become a parent, or if you know a parent, Leonard Sachs' book, The Collapse of Parenting, he has a new edition out now, would be top on my list. Top on my list. Excellent at helping parents understand what they're supposed to be doing. Now, I'm checking my time. I'm not checking my text. Okay, good. Someone be brave enough to give me one thing from the first session that you can take home. Please. The prefrontal cortex. Yes, and I can tell you many times in my household, my kids will say, but why? And I'll say, because I have a fully developed prefrontal cortex. <laughs> and you don't. That's why. I, with my son, my, not this one, the next one up, I was explaining to him why there will be no screens in your bedroom. Zero. You will not take your phone to your bed. You will not have screens in this room. And he said, I was explaining to him all this synaptic pruning stuff, right? And he, I finished and he said, Dad, he goes, 
I think you're a psycho dad. And he said, but in a good way. That's good enough for me. Someone else, one thing. Please. No, there's no break point. There's no stopping cues anywhere. That's on purpose. Right? Someone else, give me one thing. Please, in the back. Yes. We have got to create a space where we've eliminated as much as... It's, it's impossible to eliminate it all. But what's under our control, we need to get control of. Right? Absolutely. Um, even like the TV on the background. I know for a lot of us, that's just standard. I, I visit my people in their homes. And my, I always walk in and I'm like, can I just turn that off, please? So I can hear you and not this voice in the background. I want to listen to what you're saying, not have to compete. So, parents, you may have to turn your TV off for your kid to do his or her homework. Yeah, parenting will actually impact you. It requires you to change. Someone else, one thing. Please. Did you follow your desires? Yeah, you will follow your desires. Absolutely. And the question is, are our desires automatically good? Right? Or do we need to have them shaped? Right? And who do we want to use a, a, a Lutheran term, who do we want to catechize us? Right? Who do we want to catechize us? Please, I saw your hand. Say it louder. Oh, multitasking, it is a myth. Multi-switching, multi-attention switching, that's reality. Good. Anybody else have a one thing, or a question, Here, please. Yeah, that's exactly right. You are considered a user. That's exactly right, and they are peddling you a drug. Now, I, again, are there good things you can do with screens? Absolutely there are good things. But screens, the individualized one, I'm not, I'm not addressing communal things. I'm not saying you can't watch a movie with your kids or something of that nature. Okay? That's a communal experience. I'll have more to say about that later. I'm talking about the individualized screens. Now, I've got to pay attention to my time, so I try to honor time. I think, what's the first one? Go to 9.50? What am I at? 9.49. Man, that's great. Okay, I have time for one more, one thing. Or one question. Please. Reading. Yes. Yeah. Good. Good. Thank you. Thank you. Excellent. Anybody else have one thing? Okay, so if I'm looking at our schedule, you have, now, I'm going to make you promise me something. If I let you get up, you will come back so we can get, because I have four hours of content to get into about two hours and 50 minutes, okay? So uh, if you will be back, ready to go, right away at 10 o'clock, that would be fantastic. So stretch your legs, and you're welcome to come ask me questions if you want to, but we'll start again in 10 minutes.